Welcome to the show. Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, not everyone's having a great time, though. We've got an awesome show. We're going to go to space pretty soon. But I'm going to stay on Earth here for a second. There's a big, big whiteout that's going on in Wyoming. Cowboy State Daily, they interviewed this driver. His name is Zay Bullard. He's been a lifelong, uh, he's been a long-haul trucker for five years. And he said he's never been stuck in a storm like this. And if you've been through Wyoming, there's been really bad storms. So that's saying something. Um, he, along with several dozen other truckers, pulled over at Travel Centers of America to stop in Cheyenne on Monday morning on orders from their company, and they have not been able to move on the interstate since. Wyoming Department of Transportation says I-80 is likely to open again tonight, as long as more bad weather doesn't blow through. But let's take a look at one driver's experience over there. Roll this tape. Currently in Rock Springs, Wyoming. First time in a blizzard. I've been here since noon Monday, and at this rate, I'm leaving until hopefully Friday. I was hoping Thursday, but it's starting to pile up. So my week is shot. I was asking the truckers on, on back to truck up uh, what they do during a storm like this, and uh, they said there's not much, right? You got to hope you have a, an APU or a generator to keep yourself warm. Better hope you get some provisions on there. You know, they always recommend most drivers keep about five days with them at least. And uh, you watch a lot of Netflix. Hopefully you got some signal or you downloaded some shows. We got that overhead, too. I mean, if you take, take a look at this, too, you can get even a better look at what... Uh, What's going down? These drivers are going to have to dig themselves out. Hopefully today they got them back on the road. They've got nothing but time and uh, cold hands. There was also that situation with the driver. I mean, this almost, this almost got really deadly out there, and there have been some deadly crashes. But take a look at this video on the side of the road. I know I showed this on Wednesday, but if you didn't catch that, that particular episode, you see this guy over here. He's ditching over to the left. He almost runs this, uh, this trooper over right in front of the truck. Tough situation out there. Let's not forget about Ohio either. Big, uh, big train accident out there. Everyone's going to clean up. We finally got politicians showing up over there. But you know who arrived first? The truckers. My buddy Taylor Barker was down there removing wastewater out of East Palestine, bringing it. Um, I got to ask him. I wonder where they bring that wastewater to. But drivers out there getting it done as always. Shout out to you guys. Shout out to Taylor and all of the, uh, the drivers making things move. On today's show, we got the logistics of resupply in space with NASA. We're going to be talking to the team at Parade. They're helping 3PLs go digital with capacity management, learn about the story behind the company. And what I'm curious about is what's capacity management like in a market like this that's so loose? How does it change when it gets tight and when it gets loose? We'll find out. Has inflation spiraled out of control? Elizabeth Simpkins from Travelers is here to talk about that. Plus, we got Windverse containers, poor Fed execution, a Pixar story come to life, and more. But let's tip the band, and we'll get to our first guest. You may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in the past decade, they've evolved to become a global transportation management leader, generating nearly $3 billion in annual revenue by providing supply chain solutions for Fortune 500 companies, shipping between Asia, North America, and Europe. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating customized solutions to fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from AIT's logistics pros at AITWorldwide.com. But now, let's take a trip over to Kennedy Space Center and talk to Christina Gonzalez. 
Gonzalez. She's an orbital replacement unit project manager at NASA. Never any shortage of acronyms. <laughs> no, certainly not. We have a lot. And even folks who work out there still, uh, we still don't know what they mean sometimes. <laughs> now, Christina, you uh, are you at Kennedy Space Center right now? I believe you're based out in Florida, right? I am based out of Florida. Yep. So I do work at Kennedy Space Center. Um, I typically am on site, but today I'm working from home. And you're kind of like uh you're kind of like a freight cargo the handler expert, you know, except dealing going up into space, which sounds pretty challenging. Um, for people who aren't familiar, though, I have a couple acronyms here, and I didn't know these either until I talked to your comms team. And they're NORS and COTS, which is what we're going to be talking about today. What are NORS and COTS? Yeah, so um, for ISS, Space Station, it's been up in orbit for um, over 20 years, so continuously occupied by humans for um, since 2000. Uh, so I'm close to, yeah, 22 years, 22, 23 years. Um, so we have to find a way to keep them alive in space with oxygen and nitrogen and breathing air and crew provisions and supplies. Um, and so, as you mentioned, KSC, we do a lot of the processing for a lot of the cargo that gets launched up to ISS to support, uh, the humans, um, in space, the astronauts. And so NORS and COTS specifically are primary ways of getting oxygen and breathing air to space. Um, so NORS is uh, the nitrogen oxygen recharge system. Um, so these are tanks that we uh, pressurize with um, nitrogen or oxygen up to 6,000 PSI G. Um, and we launch them to space to uh, repress the larger tanks that are on the ISS vehicle um, for the crew. And the COTS tanks um, are similar. They're smaller. Um, COTS actually stands for commercial off the shelf. And so it's not a, a, a typical um, NASA acronym um, from a project naming convention um, per se, but uh, it was a, a project that we started um, a couple years back. Um, if you've read in the news, there is a very small cabin leak um, in space um, that we're working to um, find and fix. And in the meantime, um, COTS, uh, they're basically scuba tanks that we fill with breathing air um, to about 4,000 PSI, <clears throat> and we launch those as well, and those get vented directly into the cabin to help supplement the cabin air. Okay, that all makes sense to me. So you know you got a, a load is a load, right? A payload is whatever it's got to be. In this case, you got nitrogen, oxygen, supporting humans, keeping them alive. How do you plan the load, though? Like, do you, you probably have some idea of need and usage and how often these mm -hmm. have to, to go up. But what does that start like? What, Tell me about that. Yeah, so we've got, um, we've got a, a team of experts out at Johnson Space Center in Texas, Houston, Texas, um, that does continuous monitoring of the tank levels on orbit. Um, so they are tied in with all of the data systems there, and so they can continuously track where the levels are um, currently and then also projected out based off of um, crew usage, how many EVAs or extravehicular um, activity spacewalks that we have planned um, since that demands breathing air for the crew. Um, payload usage, we do have a lot of science payloads that will also use the same gas. Um, a lot of times that's pulling on the nitrogen and then of course for the cabin makeup. And so they can project out um, months to years based off of kind of the planned usage and um, the, the different cargo resupply missions that we have when we need to fly these tanks to make sure that we keep a healthy level um, on orbit. So down here on Earth in, in ocean and in rail and trucking, we have standardized containers for getting our payloads uh, wherever they need to go. What kind of containers do you use for this kind of stuff? Well, how, do you, how do you pack a shipment for space? 
Yeah, so these tanks um, are special. They're composite overwrap pressure vessels, so they're very um, sensitive and they need to be handled with great care. So um, they have special designed um, bags that they'll be installed in with special laser cut foam um, specifically made for these for these tanks uh, that our team will, um, after they're done pressurizing the tanks, will fit them in their foam and their bags. Um, and then they get transported um, one of two ways. There's two different shipping containers that we have. Um, one is a DOT special permit container. It's um, blast proof, and that's used for transporting the tanks um, on just public highways. So we don't always launch out of KSE. Um, we've got another provider that does the cargo resupply missions out of Wallops uh, Island, Virginia. Um, and so that's a contract with Northrop Grumman. And so if we um, have tanks manifested on those missions, um, we call them the NG missions, then they'll get packed into their DOT special uh, shipping containers, um, transported by ground up to Wallops Island, Virginia. Then we have a team from KSC that we fly up there um, they'll do the final packing uh, into the, the foam and the bags, and then they get turned over to the launch team and they install them into the cargo vehicle. Um, and so then they get launched to space. And once they're in space, the astronauts will go in and um, just kind of unbuckle them and, and pull them out back into the cabin. So how much freight can you bring up on a mission? Are you, are you aware of how much? Does it vary by, I guess, rocket, right? Yeah, it does vary by the rocket. So I think um, generally it's between 7,000 and 8,000 pounds of cargo. Interesting. You know, I have some pictures here to put some context to all this. Let's do a little show and tell here. Mm -hmm. Guys, can you show this first picture? And uh, you can tell us what we're looking at. Yep. So that's the um, that's the Norris tank. So um, that's the composite overwrap pressure vessel. It's another acronym, the COPVs. Um, so you can kind of see there's a shiny um, laminate. Those are actually carbon fibers, and those are used to strengthen the tank so that you can pressurize them at higher pressures. Um, and the reason we want to do that, we want to keep the mass um, of what we fly low so that you can fit more cargo in the launch vehicle um, while also maximizing the amount of gas that we can deliver to orbit. So this particular tank is what's pressurized to 6,000 PSI. And so right there, it's just sitting in its um, fill and inspection stand. That's the gold stand. And that's how we um, pressurize them through that assembly on the right-hand side, that metallic assembly. Oh, interesting. Now we have some smaller tanks. What do these ones do? Yeah, so these are the COTS tanks. Um, they'll look just like scuba tanks because they are. Um, and these are the resupply tanks that we vent directly into the cabin to supplement the cabin air. Um, so we fill them here. There's three, three, but we can fill four or five at a time. And we just fill those with breathing air. Um, those are filled to about 4,000 PSI and, um, they get packed four to five at a time in one bag. Um, so they've got foam that they sit kind of like right on top of each other. Um, and we fly those as well on the, uh, the cargo resupply mission. So for SpaceX, um, Dragon and the Northrop Grumman Cygnus vehicles. Interesting. And this is the, the trucking and loading part you were talking about in this uh, next picture. Would this, would, yeah. Is this in Texas or is this unloading at like KSC? No, this, is, this is at KSC. So um, it, I think in this photo, this was taken a while back, we were transporting a NORS um, tank. So that first tank that we just saw. Um, so that silver container, that's the blast uh, proof DOT special permit container. Um, and so we were likely transporting this up to Wallops Island, Virginia for a flight up there. Interesting. Interesting. We have one, too. I think it actually looks like it's up in uh, that one, too. You can kind of see them. They have to block and brace this stuff, I imagine. I, I did see the tags on yeah. there. Um, do you specialize carriers for this, by the way? Do you have your own trucking fleet or you have partnerships with certain fleets? 
We do have partnerships. Um, so when we're transporting on federal property, so within KSC, um, that white transportation container is what's used. And we've got ground transportation um, contracts in place um, locally to the space center. And then, um, and not, not just for these tanks, but for um, a lot of our other cargo, we rely heavily on partnerships with other um, commercial companies for transportation uh, domestically and internationally as well. Interesting. And then this last picture, it looks like it's, uh, this is, is this up in space? Is this during the launch? So this, this is coming back um, on the Boeing OFT-2 mission. So that was the orbital flight test. Um, they're trying to get the Starliner up and running um, as a, another means of getting crew up to space station. So they had done a test um, last year. And so this is returning back. So you can see how the, the Norse tanks um, are packed. So <clears throat> that first tank, so they're put into these um, large white bags with foam. And so you can see where the arrows are pointing. Um, on this mission, they had actually returned three tanks back in that vehicle. Um, and so the, the Norse tanks we reuse, um, we'll, we'll vent them off on orbit and then they'll come back to KSC. Um, we'll work with the SpaceX team um, or whoever the provider is to get those um, tanks removed from the vehicle. And then they get put on a truck and brought back to um, our space station processing facility for um, just final inspections, deintegration, um, making sure that we can refill them for future use. Yeah. So, so these ones, these were ones that came back from orbit. Interesting. So that you have like a closed loop reverse logistics system running here. I think we kind mm -hmm. of have a diagram of, of COTS. Um, so how does this work? This gets up to space. They reuse the tanks. So they take the old. How do they? How do they get back down to Earth? Um, so the COTS air tanks do not come back. Okay. Those are one time use. Um, and that was by design as just a means of um, trying to keep the, the process simple. Um, they're relatively, um, I'll say, cheaper to procure than, say, one of the, the Norris tanks, which are a more specialized design. Um, so let's see. I'm trying to look at what this graphic is. Commercial crew and cargo program. Um, so I think this is talking more to our commercial services, our contracts with gotcha. um, SpaceX, Northrop, um, We've got Sierra uh, Space that's going to be coming online soon with their Dream Chaser. And um, yeah, so they're in contract to provide cargo to the ISS and also return. So there's a lot of science that gets done up on space. Um, and those samples need a way to get back to Earth for the scientists to analyze and, and you know, see how, um, how they worked. So yeah, so we, we do have return vehicles um, that'll bring back our Norse tanks and then a lot of other stuff, a lot of science stuff stuff for the crew. What do you do with the tanks that you said they don't come back? You just kick them out the window. Uh, someone just crushes them down into a little can. How does that work? Yeah, they, um, they get installed into the, the trunk of the vehicle and they essentially burn up on orbit. Oh, interesting. When they, when they come back in. Yeah. For, during reentry. Wow. How long does that, do you, do you get to watch that? Do they have cameras on there? I feel like I would, that would, be, uh, that would make my not, day. Not that I've seen, but that would be, be pretty cool. <laughs> so <laughs> they do have cameras on the vehicle launch though so if you do catch a launch a live stream um you can see as they're separating from the rocket and you know going into orbit which is pretty neat and these types of supplies they're on every launch right you're not going to like waste a launch window by mm -hmm. not bringing stuff up right right no there's a whole team out at jsc um in houston that is their sole mission is um cargo management and maximizing the amount of cargo that we can take up and then also bring back and so they work with the uh, you know our teams um and the vehicle teams, the science teams to, to manage what gets put up there and what, what gets brought back. So um, it's a big integrated team effort across many different centers. 
Um, but yeah, the goal is to maximize uh, the space station um, and maximize our launch capabilities with our providers. So what does a day in the life at NASA look like for someone in your position, especially where like you're in the middle of a project? Let's just pretend you're planning mm -hmm. the next launch up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I do a lot of coordination back with my Houston counterparts. Um, so I, unfortunately, as a project manager, I sit in a lot of meetings. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when we are processing, um, say, one of these Norse tanks, um, we have a clean room facility um, out at KSC that all of this stuff gets done. So we got to make sure that whatever we're sending to space um, doesn't have any contamination um, for the crew and for the vehicle. So you got to keep in mind in, in space, it's zero gravity environment. So if you have dirt or any kind of particulate, that stuff is going to find a way to get out um, and could, you know, clog up some systems. So everything's done in a clean work room. Um, it's working with a lot of different contractors, a, a lot of different teams to make sure that the operations are running smoothly. Um, before I was a project manager, I was on the engineering side. So I was the person who was writing these test procedures, how to exactly hook up the tank, um, get the gas supply uh, connected to our, our fill system, doing the actual fill um, and getting stuff turned over to the launch providers. Wow, you have it's a, a lot of talking, a lot of coordination. <laughs> you, it sounds like you have a very, very busy days over there at NASA. This is such a, you know, it's such an aspirational job. It's such a dream job for for so many people working at NASA. I have kids. I know they aspire to work at NASA. What is your favorite NASA moment so far? In uh, is it almost a decade now that you've been there? If I if I if I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah, so I, I've been there 10 years. Um, I started out as an intern, a Pathways intern. So that's one of the, the main ways that we hire. We convert students um, to full-time. So if anyone who is interested in applying for NASA, check out, um, I think it's in Pathways or intern.nasa.gov. You could also just Google it. Um, uh, sorry, I lost track of the question. Oh, your favorite NASA thinking. moment in your, in your 10 oh, years? Like, is anything NASA you're most proud of or just was like, whoa, that's mind-blowing? Yeah, so recently um, the Artemis One launch happened. Um, and that was really big. So before coming into this role, um, when I was still an engineer, um, I was part of the team that serviced the Orion crew capsule with thermal fluid. Um, we use ammonia for the thermal fluid. And so it was really a really neat experience um, being able to provide that fluid to the vehicle, interacting directly with the Orion vehicle, and then watching it launch. I mean, that was really historic. Um, the next time that, that we launched that, there's going to be humans um, that'll be the Artemis II mission. And, and so that was really, really rewarding seeing years of work going to, you know, designing a system, operating the system, testing the system, getting to use it with the actual flight hardware and then watching it launch. Um, and then recently, the last couple of weeks, I've been helping um, the team offload the residual ammonia and safe that vehicle. So I think that's really been that's so far been like the highlight. <laughs> You know, I have, I still have my Artemis pin that Mark Weiss gave me um, at Air Cargo in Nashville like three years ago. It's still on, a, on my jean jacket on the collar. I, I cherish that thing. Now, you at NASA, you have so many acronyms, but do you have a favorite one? My favorite acronym? <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we have a facility at Kennedy Space Center called the BFF. Um, it's the Booster Fabrication Facility, and so I like that one just because... But yeah. That's where they do some booster, yeah, booster like, work. Best um, friends forever. But it's the BFF, yeah. best friends forever, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And before I let you go, favorite space movie everyone needs to see? Oh, man. Interstellar is my favorite one. Interstellar. Do you think that could really happen? Mm -hmm. Can we jump to, have, we, have you NASA guys figure that out? Can we jump dimensions? Well, if we could, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is true. You'd be sworn to secrecy. Uh, <laughs> but hey, I really appreciate it. People who want to learn more about this particular subject, uh, nasa.gov? 
Mm -hmm. Yep. NASA.gov. Um, this is a bunch of different, uh, links, paths. You can go learn about all of our different programs. Um, so the international space station has their own website, um, commercial crew. Uh, we do have a crude launch coming up here on Monday. Um, I think it's at one in the morning. You can catch that on, um, the NASA live stream. Um, NASA does have their own YouTube channel. Um, we're out on all different platforms for social media. So yeah, any kind of interest that you have, you can start NASA.gov and, um, there's a lot of different buttons that'll take you where you want to go. Well, thank you, Christina and NASA. I appreciate it as always. Thanks for educating us a little bit on how logistics of space work. It's always cool to learn. Thanks for having me. Take care. Have a great weekend. Thanks, you too. Good times. All right. You know, it is Friday. It is Friday. We got some more deeper stuff to get into. But before we do, let's feel good. Take a look at this video right here. This is Peggy the dog, right? Peggy found this injured bird, and now they're living together in the Pixarverse. But here's what's wild. Peggy even started lactating. Peggy started lactating to feed this magpie bird. And now the bird, it thinks it's a dog. Um, throughout their journey, I'm not going to show you the whole video. It goes on for a while. But throughout this journey, uh, Peggy meets a man, and she, she ends up having a bunch of puppies. And then Molly the magpie starts, you know, taking over and helping to raise the puppies and playing with them. I don't think, I don't think the magpie even bothers flying anymore. It just likes to hang out on... Peggy's back. These guys, like, why don't they have a reality? Why do the Kardashians have a reality show, but uh, Peggy the dog and Maggie the magpie don't? That's what I want to know. Anyways, maybe Elizabeth Simpkins has the answer. She's the regional underwriter, Inland Marine Transportation at Travelers. Elizabeth, how you doing today? Hey, I'm good. How are you? You don't, you don't have a magpie or a, uh, I believe that was an English bulldog, wasn't it? I do not. Well, I have a part bulldog, uh, pit bull, rather. And I have a parakeet, but that's not quite the same. No, not quite. Well, I mean, relatively close. We could make it work. <laughs> well, welcome back to the show. Before we dive into our topic today, tell us a little bit about what you uh, get into over there at Travelers. Sure. So day to day, I work with underwriters on a technical level with their transportation accounts. And I work with our transportation clients on their coverage and service product needs. Um, but also work with our underwriters and do training and development with our teams so that they know anything and everything they need to know to get out and sell us and, and work with our customers. You know, as consumers, our wallets are crying. Anytime we go and buy something, especially that Walmart self-checkout, not only do we get a, don't get a paycheck from Walmart, but we also get a big old receipt. But what is happening with inflation in transportation, right? I mean, these goods cost more money because a lot of times they cost more money to produce or to get there because your money is worth less. Uh, but that directly impacts transportation. What are we seeing there? Yeah, so and inflation is everywhere, right? We can't, we can't avoid it. Um, and with regard to transportation, no surprise, the values of the commodities are going up, the values of the loads are going up, and that means with claims, you're going to see a higher claim cost if something happens. So we're seeing higher excess scenarios because of that. Um, and you have to ask yourself, what can you do as a broker? What can you do as a carrier? And the first thing you do is evaluate your limits. Do you have enough? Do you know what they are? Um, and, and what you had a couple of years ago might not be sufficient for what you might find today in a claim situation. So rule one, understand your limits. Can you there hear me? We go. Yeah, I hear you now. I hear you now. Well, we were talking, you were, and I heard a good part. You were talking about limits on claims. Can we drill deeper into that a little bit? Because I need a little bit of context. I'm not familiar with what like an average limit should be. What would, when you say put limits on here, what would a typical scenario be? Yeah, so typically we would see a motor carrier around $100,000 per vehicle. 
Um, that's not a regulatory mandate. That's really kind of a ballpark minimum. And um, 80% of the trucking companies you see might have about $100,000 limit requirements. Maybe 20% have something more. And that's really a traveler's average profile. It's, it's not an industry source. But when you think about theft losses and kind of compare that to the value, 2019 pre-pandemic, your loss of a theft might have been $135,000. going to vary a little bit based on commodity, but now you're looking at values over $214,000 per loss and up. Um, so that's, you know, kind of lead you into rule number two is, you know, you have to know what you're moving. You have to know what you're brokering and what that's worth. And sometimes the motor carrier insurance requirements, even though they might only say you need to have $100,000 in a contract, for instance, um, retail values could be a whole lot more than that. So if you know that what you're moving is more than that, you might need to revisit some limits, you know, talk to your carrier, talk to your, your insurance agent and get something higher to protect yourself. Um, another good time to reassess limits, kind of aside from inflation, is when you maybe begin working with a new shipper or a new commodity. They might have something higher that they require you to carry, and um, you might need to sign a new contract saying you carry a higher limit of insurance. So that would be something else to watch out for. And the other point I'll make is for freight brokers specifically, if you are a broker and you realize the freight that you're going to broker is more than that $100,000 example I gave, um, you need to be looking for a carrier that might be able to obtain a higher limit for that load or has something you know, larger than $100,000 to begin with. If that happens often for you as a freight broker, it might make more sense to amend your broker carrier agreement even to require something higher than $100,000. Wow. You know, so one thing we've noticed with inflation is that it's hitting goods asymmetrically. Not everything is being hit the same and not everything's seeing the same increases. So um, let's go a little deeper on this. What type of cargo is particularly vulnerable to inflation these days? I would say food for sure. You know, people got to eat. So demand is always going to be there. Um, the thing that's been in the news a lot lately is eggs. We've seen the price of that just really go crazy. And what's right around the corner for many people to celebrate is Easter. So people are going to feel that. Um, I'll add to that losses due to refrigeration have been up in value too. So you can definitely feel that impact there. Another commodity you might see that's prone to inflation is electronics. And some of that's being driven because shortages in different parts of the industry for electronic products. Um, they're just a victim of supply and demand economics, really. But beyond commodities, even... When you talk about inflation as it relates to transportation, it touches other things. You know, you're going to have higher loss costs, of course, if something happens. And, you know, we've seen that the cost of an overall claim has gone up on average about 6%. So that's one thing. But you've got to think about maintenance of your fleet as well. So the cost of towing, the cost of repairing, all of that's going up. And um, frequency of collision losses is up too. So that doesn't help. That can affect tractor trailer costs. And um, that'll have an effect on your insurance rates and your deductibles and things that, that you put in place for your programs. So it's got a widespread effect. We don't really see it going away anytime soon, unfortunately. You might see some leveling out, but retailers tend to try to keep those profit margins up. So I don't know that these higher costs are really going to go away anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, uh, man, you're deeper in this space than I am. Anything else we should uh, we should be aware of? Yeah, I guess bringing it back to basics for everybody, you know, 
just knowing what you're moving, you're hauling, you're brokering, whatever it is you're doing in the space, know what limits you have, um, know when you might need to make a change if you see that you don't have enough and be mindful of that, you know, reaching out to, to make sure that you're protected um, and give travelers a call if you need us. Yeah. Right. And I think if I understood this correctly, understand your limits and be aware of what load or loads you're moving. In summation, thank you so much for joining us today, Elizabeth. We, we really appreciate it. Have a great weekend, everyone. Go check out Travelers. Thanks. Take care. Take it easy. All right, everybody. Look, hey, we got a user submission on Rate the Strap Work today. It's from Ian Wyland. Thank you so much from JCT. Let's roll this tape. Seeing a bunch of tires here. Take a look at those straps. <laughs> I'm going to have to have the guys pause this for uh, a second on here, but you look at those. There's just two straps in that entire stack. Uh, there is some down pressure, but if that hits anything too hard, you got tires everywhere. You got tires going all over the place. Look at that. That's precarious. That guy is doing all the work up there on the top left. He hits a speed, and this, I believe this is through California. Got plenty of speed bumps over there, California. By the way, people driving through Grapevine, you're not. It's closed. So be careful out there. Um, Anyways, oh wait, what did it say? Oh, this is from Ian. He said, on Tuesday, when we saw this beauty alongside the shoulder of 710, this was a 100% I spy moment. If I had to guess, I don't believe the CHP had him pulled over. <laughs> I think that they should. I think that they should. Joseph M said, that is strapped by the best load securement practice out there, which is magic. The driver must be Harry Potter. Yeah, that's not going anywhere, Vioso. Anyways, guys, let's, uh, let's, Tip the band, and then I think Parade has showed up, so we can go get the Parade story, too. So, here we go. China, India, Vietnam, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Canada, Mexico. AIT Worldwide Logistics has 2,000 supply chain experts in these countries, and of course, in offices across the United States. And guess what? In 2023, they're adding more locations around the world as the organization continues to expand and make it easier than ever for customers to ship between Asia, Europe, and North America. If you're ready to create a shipping program as unique as your needs, you can learn more at AITWorldwide.com. But you know what I want to learn? The parade story. What's going on in digital capacity management and all that good stuff? A little freight tech? So I invited over Tony Wu, Anthony Saturja, and Jesse Taylor from Parade. And they're here right now. Gentlemen, thank you for coming on the show on a Friday. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us. I also <laughs> love the, the previous segment with the straps. That was hilarious. It's dangerous, though. I'm just glad I'm not driving it, unless I need some tires. <laughs> yeah. Introduce yourselves one by one. Who we got with us today? Got Anthony here, CEO of Parade. I'm Tony. I'm the CTO of Parade. I'm Jesse Taylor. I'm on the sales team at Parade. Nice. Well, how did you how did you all meet? I showed a story earlier about a magpie and a bulldog that met. I wonder if yours is similar. <laughs> uh, my, myself and Tony, we, we go way back, back into our college days. And we came from building software at various companies. And after that, we started a freight brokerage. We partnered with uh, our partner, Preet. And thought, hey, let's build tools in this industry, make things more efficient. And where we ended up was we ended up shutting down that brokerage. We ended up realizing there's a really big opportunity in just changing how people operate in this space and helping them. You know, you got brokers out there operating off of sticky notes, phone calls, and emails. And how do we just help that process become more efficient? And so, really got started and building this business of what we call parade today and helping all brokers with new digital tools 
And uh, right. since then, we've got some folks like uh, Jesse, who <laughs> comes from the Convoy, and we've been building out our team here over the past year. Now, so take me back to this. So you're in college. Were you roommates in college? What college is this? I don't know, Tony. Where where were we at? <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we did our undergrad and masters at UC Berkeley. We were not roommates, but we have been roommates for a while now, <laughs> currently. Oh. And uh, yeah, we funny were how life works. And funny how life works. Yeah. Did you guys have? Were you um, entrepreneurial yeah, we in college? Did you? Were you guys entrepreneurial in college? Did you did you have any businesses together or separately? We uh we did this group called Blueprint, which was a nonprofit code for various charities and various orgs, and so got a lot of exposures. It's a different way, you know. I like to think of it as entrepreneurship in that there's so many different problems that the the community faces, and so we started off just solving techn- specific technology problems. For example, distributing solar, for pairing up food with homeless shelters. And I think over over time, you know, solving those types of problems is what gets excited. So I think a lot of these problems here in freight are just as exciting. There's so many different opportunities here and uh, have kicked into where we are today. So you so you mentioned the brokerage, right? You get into a, a brokerage. When did the idea go to punt on that and start Parade? Do you remember like when that started percolating and you're like, look, there's a better way or there's a service that's needed? Yeah, this was back in 2018 when we really realized, look, there we have all these brokers on our team. We've built these, this technology of, you know, we'd be automatically replying to various drivers out there over text and okay well what did this technology no other brokerage out there has this kind of technology how do we enable every broker to have this kind of tech as we realized what we created was amazingly efficient for ourselves but how do we get this in the hands of every single broker and so over time we found what the niche was needed and really everyone needs uh better ways to match the right carrier to the right load. They want to remove repetitive processes and really get sharper on at the end of the day, the broker's margins are so tied to uh, pricing. And so over time, we found these different components of what well, we just need to serve the customer. Our customers are the brokers and really help them just find ways to streamline their operations, especially in this environment. Interesting. So who came up with the name? Was it Tony or was it Anthony? I think we were, uh, you know, our, our incorporation name you'll see if you ever enter into a, like an NDA with us is Dre Technologies Inc. <laughs> and uh, it, we, we thought we put his name Dre at that time because we looked up Webster's Dictionary and we thought we saw that it uh, is a synonym for to haul. So all right, this this makes sense. Let's let's make a it's the future of hauling right here. Yeah, and uh, over time, people kept on asking us, "Hey, so you guys can uh, you do any drayage operations?" <laughs> yes. And we do not do any of that. We had no idea at that time when we got started in this business, and so realized we chose the wrong name. And so over time, uh, we found the and coined the term "parade" as you know some some truckers out there they'll draft each other for wind resistance out on the on the road and they, they hopped that onto that into a convoy and and we thought the name was clever in that you know some truckers will call it a parade as well and so 
there is a digital freight brokerage up in Seattle called Convoy. And we thought, you know, instead of trying to replace the brokers, why don't we just empower them with better tools? And so it's at a different approach. It's a jab at the name, Convoy. But uh, here we are building a, uh, a parade of goods. Well, good, good pivot on on the name too. To these to these ears, the word Dre means something very specific. You're thinking <laughs> they're going to the port. That was uh, that was pretty cool. Now, before we get into capacity management, now you got to be curious. What is the smartest pivot you've had to do so far? I know we've had to do some here at Freight Waves. I know that we've had some logo and name changes. What's Parade's best pivot? Maybe it was the name. The name might be up there. I I think the core has been really being able to manage capacity across the board, no matter what the the broker needs to do. And so, you know, starting off, we started off with email. So a lot of brokers read emails, truckers send emails in, and they need to respond. And so we we built this natural language processing engine that reads all these emails, responds to the brokers on their behalf. That's just one way a broker might engage with a carrier, and really. You know, the team thought really hard about what is needed to communicate with carriers everywhere. It's not only email, it's all these different load boards, it's these new platforms out there. Uh, there's different ways of managing your recurring freight through waterfall tendering. And so the, the pivot really was expansion into every single way a broker wants to do business with carriers and making sure that's supported. And we're building tools to support every way of doing business with carriers very well now you guys are what five six years into this you're uh you're not greenhorns anymore you're starting to figure out what to do what does parade look like now right what is parade today yeah i'll pass it over to jesse here and uh yeah jesse what do you describe parade as let's say sales call me right here you're walked into the what the truck office right now i uh i'm a broker you know i manage about 20 million dollars in freight well that's awesome every single broker yeah, well, congrats on the growth there. Uh, the you know every single broker that I ever talk to, they have got a few main ways of sourcing carriers. Right, they can go to their mental rolodex, like who do I know a guy who knows a guy off the top of my head. That can be kind of difficult to scale as you go and hire. Um, we don't have the technology yet to copy and paste somebody's brain into a new hire's brain. Um, I think Elon Musk is working on something for that, but you know, it still doesn't exist yet. Um, and then the second thing is just going into history, who's run this lane in the past, which can be fairly limited, just given that there's more capacity in there than just what you've run with a carrier. And then finally, there's going out to marketplaces and load boards and things like that, which is a great way to source capacity, but you don't want that to be used as a crutch or just as an easy button. So there is so much data about about every single carrier that a broker works with that we're helping to enrich the data that a broker has to help shine a light onto that untapped capacity in their network. Then we're using multi-channel communication to go and offer loads to carriers and make it really easy for them to book digitally. And I do sometimes talk about my how I got my start in the industry was uh, at Convoy and shipper sales, cold calling shippers in 2019. And what they were doing over there was managing data about carriers, matching, getting loads to carriers, and enabling them to book digitally. And what Parade's doing is driving better intelligence to help every single broker out there who don't have hundreds of millions of dollars to burn on building their own technology to go and enter into the next age of booking freight with the best carriers. 
Um, on top of that, there's the whole rating engine, um, which we're also really excited about. You know, it's interesting because people always go, hey, freight cyclical. But I'm, I look at our sonar and data charts and yeah, it was up until like this decade and now in the 2020s, it has not been. So, and you guys have been through all of that. So you have seen these dynamic changes. Like you, we talk about capacity here. Well, we have our outbound tender, re tender reject index, which shows a measure of capacity under contracted loads, right? And this is an index that it wasn't that long ago. A little over a year ago, it's about 25%, meaning one out of every four loads, contract loads, was rejected by a carrier. Now it's like 3.5%. How does that change your customers' needs? How does the market impact how you think and how you guys approach it? Yeah, I think we're, it, it, you know, it's cyclical. And at the same time, I think the, the pandemic definitely put this acceleration on demand uh, on the spot market side. And so now, when now we do see that normalizing, the RFPs are the seasons right now, January, February, March. And so I think as more contract rates get solidified over this uh, the next few months here, I think we'll see the repercussions go into the spot market as well. And so rates, you know, they, they were a little bit too high, I think, uh, the, the prior years. And now we're looking at something of the norm. We talk to our customers all the time about this, just given their outlook as well in the broker space and everyone seems that I feel like this year things are firming up where we're, we've, we've really hit the floor. We're still elevated pre-pandemic, but things look more like steady, solidified outlook for, for the rest of the year. Interesting. Tony, when you, when you're thinking about the tech, right, you're the CTO and you're thinking about your strategy and how it fits the company, but more importantly, how it fits your broker customers, what do you have to keep in mind and consider? I think especially with the, the changing market, access to real-time data is more and more important. And a lot of how data traditionally gets communicated within the brokerage space is over these offline methods, whether that's through email, through phone calls, and we see a lot of manual entry of data. And that's something we're trying to drive away from for the brokerages that we work with. And the, the core part of Parade is, is just being able to work wherever the carriers do business and collect that data and that transaction in a more digital manner. And the more we can do that, the more real time we can make that, the more uh, flexible a brokerage can be to trends in the market, to, to get better pricing, to understand their carrier network better so that they can have that competitive advantage over other brokers in the space. And we've been able to show truly transformative change across our broker base. It's not just the, the Uber freights and the convoys of the world anymore that are touting these large digital transformation numbers. We've been able to get customers to over 65% digital. Um, and that, that just means that 65% of their freight is, is truly online, low-touch, and getting transacted in an automated manner, which is which is incredible from five years ago. So how does your average user interface with this, right? How does the automated booking work? What's that customer experience like? Well, it's it's uh, if it's truly automated, it's pretty hands-off, right? Yeah. So uh, as a user within Parade, um, you know, you go in, you configure your, your business logic, right? We've built Parade in a way where we can work with pretty much any broker out there. Uh, we've seen across our broker base different operating models, whether you have a carrier sales rep model, uh, a team-based model, a agency-based model, 
we've been able to work with all sorts of brokers. And that's, that's kind of the benefit of, of being this agnostic platform. And as a broker, you go into Parade, you, you tell us what you, you want to configure business to. And then we run the matching on your carrier base um, based on which carriers are pre-qualified in your system. And we can also tell you which carriers are outside of your system that we're bringing in as well. And as the matching occurs, as we show freight to carriers in, in an automated fashion, they, they interact with that freight rate, whether that's quoting on a load or fully booking that load. And those come into your system, go back to your TMS, and that automated facilitation of data transfer just enriches the experience for, for the reps to operate in a more efficient manner. Interesting. So, Jesse, you are on the front line. You get to talk to all the customers. What's the biggest pain point they've been telling you in 2023? Has there been a theme? Yeah. So, right now, I mean, if you go back to a year or two ago when I started at Parade, it was all about, I can't find a truck anywhere. And obviously, that's not really the case anymore. Now, it's more about how do I rely less on load boards and how do I increase the number of loads that each person can move in a day. So it's all a lot about carrier rep efficiency, doing more, getting growing more without having to increase headcounts, um, doing more with less, things like that. And then of course, if you're going and relying on load boards as your crutch to book every single load, you're obviously paying more. And in a time where it's so different, uh, it's so important to differentiate on service right now out to your shippers, like just having a truck isn't cutting it anymore. So if you want to differentiate on service, you better have really good relationships with high quality carriers that can deliver regularly. So it's all about driving those carrier relationships. How do we do that? We do that through learning about their data, getting the loads in front of them, and ultimately helping brokers find and win the best carrier for every single load. So differentiating on service, reducing DAT dependence, and increase rep efficiency. I would say the main the main things that people are trying to accomplish. You said something really interesting there. You know, when I was in freight sales, one of the biggest challenges I had was getting people to think out of transactional rate-based thinking. Because you'd go in a lot and they would just look at the rate and they go, this is the rate that goes offering 100 less. And you'd be like, yes, but we're coming with a comprehensive program. And also freight is like checking into a hotel in Vegas. Sure, you pay $49 to check in, but then you got to pay the resort fee and you got to pay this, especially in LTL. You know, so you got to understand what the actual bottom line is and what the service is. And you said something interesting there. You said, you know, initially people were like, this is great because I can use it to secure capacity. But ultimately, the real value of the tool is in creating that efficiencies internally, is it not? Absolutely. I mean, how much time does it take to book the same carrier, the same few carriers on a lane, you know, they're going to be able to run it. But why is it taking 30 seconds or 30 minutes sometimes to book the carrier on the load and send the Raycon? That's just a lot of extra work that could just be automated so that people can focus on the actual conversations, real life conversations with carriers, not that manual work. Interesting. Anthony, so what what has been the highlight of this, uh, this road so far with Parade? Just seeing our vision getting accomplished here, where we we envisioned this world where folks would be managing thousands of loads per day per person. We're not we're not there yet, but we've been crafting these different tools that both Tony and Jesse have been telling us about, and they're getting better and better every single every single week. And I think uh, it's exciting to see, as Tony just mentioned, right. Our top customers are automating 65% of their freight using platform. 
a year ago, like that. We were at 40, and then, you know, five years ago, we were at five. And so it's amazing to see the progress that our customers are making using our tools. And we, uh, as we built this team that to support our vision, it's just so exciting to see everyone aligned on that vision. Now, I, I noticed Parade.ai, so AI, ChatGPT, Sydney over at Bing, it's been all the rage. Are you using any of that kind of stuff on the back end? I guess this would be like a, a Tony-type question. Are you, uh, are you building your own little personal Skynet over there, Tony? We, we don't have anything official yet. We, we definitely are super interested in the technology, and we've been playing around with it. And there's a lot of potential here, especially around communication, uh, with with uh, your your carrier base, right? A lot of what comes into a brokerage are uh, messages, whether that's through email or text, responding to a load like, "Hey, I can do this for two thousand dollars," or "Oh, tell me what the appointment times are here," and all of that stuff. Those are those are easy pickings for for ChatGPT three, as long as we train the the proper large language model here. So there's a little bit of work that needs to be done to get uh, everything working in trucking lingo. Cause that's, you know, as we all know, pretty unique, but I think there's a lot of potential. Okay. Well, Anthony, what, what do we have to look forward to at a parade this year or on the horizon or, or that vision? Well, yeah, we released a dynamic pricing tool just last quarter with in partnership with DAT. And that was, is, uh, really, this means towards this future on what Tony and both Jesse alluded to. Predictive pricing is important, but how do you plug that in towards helping people win more business? And so we've done a lot to help brokers cover their freight. And so we think there's a, a lot of opportunity looking at this next year, not only helping them save time, save money, but also win more business. Interesting. Love, love to hear it. I'm sure everyone else loves to hear it too. Who's out there trying to win some business. Um, before I let you guys go, now you got to square off, raise your hand. I don't have buzzers. I have one trivia question before I let you go for the weekend. We will see who the winner at parade is. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. Okay. So remember, raise your hand after the question. What YouTuber had her song Friday go viral in 2011? Oh, it's Jesse. He was, he was up like a rocket. It was Rebecca Black. It was Rebecca Black. All right, guys. Thank you so much, Jesse. I don't know how wise it was beating the CDO to the punch with the hand up, but you did anyway. I got to like. Oh, yeah. Love, I'm going to get my gotta, wrist slapped. I gotta love the intensity. <laughs> where, 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 it was Parade AI. That's all right. Just go to Parade AI if you need more info. Parade.ai. That's correct. Yes, Thanks, everyone. Guys, thank you so much. Thanks for having meeting us. you today. Well, good time. Nice guys over there like to see the work that they're doing. But you know what I also like to see? A little good news, bad news, because it's Friday. Ah, the bad news and good news. Oh. All right. <sighs> Let's get into it. How you guys doing? You feeling all right? Feeling all right. <laughs> I do. I am ready for the weekend, though. I think it's that warm weather, and I, it's weird because like half of you guys are just like Wyoming. They're buried over in snow over there, grapevine. Uh, people over in Long Beach right now are getting hailed upon. You know, the blood sacrifice worked. I sent that bad weather your way. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, here we go. Some poor Fed execution. All right, good news. You are your FedEx track. Show roll this tape. Your FedEx tracking shows your package is nearby. Here it comes, man. When's this gonna get over here? Uh oh. Uh oh. Bad news. That's when that happens. The FedEx driver could not pick a lane. 
And that truck driver appears to have picked it for him. I do not know why he is just barreling through him uh, during the course of this. I guess he's just like, forget this FedEx truck. I'm just getting to the side of the road and getting safe. Or I don't, maybe he was disabled. It doesn't seem to be moving there. I don't know. FedEx guy was like intent on being in the middle of the road. I'm not sure anyone appreciated that. Good stuff. Fortunately, everybody was okay in that incident. Love to see it. Speaking of Long Beach, we've been talking about this weather over there. Take a look at what's going on over at the Port of L.A. My buddy Derek, SP, SP uh, Lonji, he said, really windy here at the Port of Los Angeles it's from two days ago. Crane alarm sounding at lunch. They are set to go off at 45 miles per hour. I'm not working, but my wife is at work. It's windy here at home as well. Each one of those containers, I believe, uh, empty is is about 8,000 pounds, if I'm not mistaken, of 40. Um, and I imagine that is empty. That's why it's getting blown over. But you can see how dangerous these, these ports are. You can see how dangerous supply chain is. You guys are, are hardcore. He also went on to say most of the terminals were standing by the second half of the night due to the high winds. We had several piles blow over, and the ship didn't finish tonight. That was scheduled. So... Rain getting in the uh, hail getting in, in the way there, too. Again, stay safe. All right, bad news. You got an angry group of town folk. They're coming at you. They're coming after your supercar. Good news. You can insulate yourself with this bubble. This is, like, really cathartic, too. I would just, I would just inflate one of those with anything in there so I could throw things at it all day. I really want, like, I wonder how pop-resistant it is. Because if they just had me in there to go throw things at that, I'd be, like, chucking daggers. But if you know here, they're only throwing blunt instruments. Although they do have sharp corners, and they haven't gotten through there yet. That bubble, I, I'd like to be inside. Well, no, I'd probably die if I was inside that bubble. But I guess this is, like, if you're wicked rich and you need to protect your supercar in your own garage. Not at that pay grade. Maybe one of these days. Put the electric Vespa in there. Anyways, guys, it's been a great week of shows. If you didn't, if you missed it, Global Supply Chain Week went down on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We had a great show with uh, guests like Kristen Toth from Furnished. That's all on demand. Speaking of on demand, you can get any episode of What the Truck by looking up What the Truck on your favorite podcast player if you just want on audio. But if you want it in beautiful HD, in living color, you can subscribe to us on FreightWaves YouTube channel. Got What the Truck, got a full show playlist. Or you can download the FreightWaves TV app and watch this stuff right on your Apple television. Let's see, who's coming up on Monday? We got Joe Antoshack from Freight Waves. He wrote that article about the driver exodus. I covered it in my newsletter. You're not subscribed to the What the Truck newsletter. You're uh, not one of the 14,000 plus. Then go to www.freightwaves.com slash WTT and get subscribed. It is totally free. We also got Von Moore, CEO, Executive Chairman over AIT Worldwide Logistics. Greg Braun over at C3 Solutions. And we're talking drones, man. We got their CEO, Yariv. It's going to be a good time. Hey, everybody, thanks for joining me. Find me on Twitter, at Timothy Dooner. That is D-O-O-N-E-R. Take care, and don't be a stranger.